Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It is Monday, that means we are back with another CIO strategy snapshot. And joining us for that conversation, glad to welcome back to the podcast, Jason Dreho, the Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed a nice weekend. Looking forward to catching up with you here on a Monday morning. Uh, thank you, Dan. Yeah, good morning and welcome back after a week off. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back and I'm glad that at least up here in the Northeast was able to bring back some nice weather. So hope it's here to stay. But Jason, I know as a new week begins, we are seeing some further downside pressure across global equity markets, including weakness in the U.S. equity futures that we have come off the lows of the morning. Uh, this as conditions in Ukraine uh, sadly continue to deteriorate. Markets have been tracking this very closely over the past few weeks. So Jason, to set the table for the week, can you speak to what transpired over the weekend, where we are today, and what investors are really focused on? Well, for in terms of you know Russia-Ukraine situation, there was a further escalation, further you know, military in, in invasion. There's also reports at different points in time over the weekend of you know, temporary ceasefires to allow for humanitarian transport, which has you know has been let's say kind of not that effective thus far. But clearly, kind of an ongoing escalation. I think it's also what it would suggest is that this is going to be a you know a long road, uh, and a long kind of kind of military confrontation that you know could well last you know into the summer and even beyond. I think that's kind of what is becoming more apparent yeah, as the days go by. From a market perspective, I think what the bigger news that happened over the weekend was a few things that have contributed to oil prices. Certainly, last night spiking have have kind of calmed down a little bit this morning, but are still higher from where they were on Friday. One is the talk from U.S. officials uh, about having additional sanctions on actual oil and banning imports, which, uh, you know, if that escalates, you know, would be a further you know, challenge to the oil markets that have already been, you know, hit hard. Uh, this also going to have a knock-on effect to the Iran sort of nuclear deal where negotiations were taking place, and it was looked like they could be within days of reaching a deal, which just from an energy market perspective would provide Iranian supply, uh, not so much initially, but in the coming months. I think that was providing some sort of optimism, and given the escalation of the Russia sanctions, you know, uh, concerns or issues, that Iran deal may not be either on hold, may not materialize. So again, so the hope for additional supply that may not materialize. In addition, there was also some disruptions in Libya sort of supply. So, from the oil front, the, the news over the weekend would suggest supply may not increase as much as as we like. There could be even more supply disruptions, and that was what led oil prices. At least as of last night, you know, surged to $135 a barrel. They're back down to like 121 in that range. But clearly, if it rises that much, the growth concerns start to become even more material. The inflation concerns, uh, especially in a place like Europe, are they going to be more sensitive? I think it was noteworthy that over the weekend or, or late last week, the uh, for a national average in the U.S., uh, you know, the, the price of a gallon of gas reached four dollars. It hasn't been that level for for a number of years. So again, it just sort of heightens the, the economic concerns, and that's why the markets you know, this morning are, are selling off. So I think that's the, that's a key driver is starting to think through the economic implications of what's transpired thus far and how they how much worse they could get. Because I think the difference for the markets, you know, the behavior of them at this point has been: are we pricing in just kind of risk premium, thing, that things could get worse and have negative implications for growth? Or do we start to need to actually price in negative implications for growth, which would then take new risk assets a leg lower? And I think that's kind of where we are right now. 
Jason, thank you for the context. To your point, the activity we are witnessing in equity markets as well as oil markets continues to turn heads. And as a result of what we've been seeing unfold within Eastern Europe over the past few weeks, of course, equity markets here in the U.S., we have seen some significant disruption. If we spend a few moments here on asset allocation, I'm thinking back to Friday. I know the chief investment office did release a market alert. Within that alert, Jason, the chief investment office has explained a downgrade of equities to neutral. So could you expand a bit for us, Jason? What's the thinking behind this allocation shift? After the market closed on Friday, we did publish an alert that did downgrade equities from the most preferred view to, to neutral stand. Also, as part of that, from a regional perspective, we had euros on equities that most preferred, and we moved move those down to a neutral view. The rationale is that you step back the last week and see they evolved. Uh, it's a very fast-moving situation, and increasingly, I'd say, the, when we assess multiple aspects of what's going on, there's just multiple factors of uncertainty, and that uncertainty level has increased. Uh, if we go from thinking of, of Russia and President Putin's you know, tensions, like, what are they? What is its endgame? How far will he go? Uh, what point what he might be willing to step back? There's increased uncertainty about additional sanctions, particularly on, on oil and other commodities coming from Russia. Could those materialize? Um, the state or the fate of this military conflict in, in war in Ukraine, how long could this last? Uh, how soon could there be some sort of you know, ceasefire? Or is this something that is going to kind of grind on for, for many months? Um, you know, how will other you know, non-NATO countries, such as Sweden and Finland, who are not NATO members, but also might be fearing their their you know, physical sovereignty, they kind of suggested they might be interested in joining NATO, and that led to a response from Russia suggesting there could be negative consequences if that happens. And then you layer all this on top of what's happening with, you know, commodities and commodity prices going up in a way that even though the sanctions were designed to be have exemptions to energy and other commodities, the market is behaving in a way that they're in effect. Because what you're seeing is, you know, companies and countries don't want to take shipment of, of Russian crude. Banks may not want to prevent, you know, lending to finance different transactions. Uh, you're seeing sort of disruptions in physical supply of commodities that would go from, say, from China into into Europe that would go by rail to Russia. Can they be delivered to, you know, in that case? So you're seeing people basically pulling away from any sort of transactions, even if they're not at this point in time prohibited, but just the uncertainty of how this could play out, whether there could be sanctions, meaning that in effect the market's behaving as if the sanctions are in place. This is not something that we had in our base case as of a week ago. That would have been more the risk scenario. And now we're kind of at this point where commodity prices are already reaching some of those those levels. You know, oil in particular, as I mentioned, we now see it being at $125 a barrel through, um, you know, by the end of the second quarter. It's in that range and then moderating a little bit as the year goes on. If that happens and the economic implications, you know, start to become a little more material in terms of raising inflation uh, and having a bit of a negative impact on growth. So when we add this all up, there's a lot of uncertainty of how this is going to play out. We have, you know, kind of lower conviction on what's the right path, what's the right scenario, and the downside scenarios have become kind of more extreme and more, even more plausible. Um, but a neutral allocation is not a, uh, a negative view. I think we have to put in context that a lot of risk has already been priced into the markets. As an example, I think there's more concerns about a recession in the eurozone because they're more directly impacted by both higher, you know, gas and energy and oil prices, but also they literally could lose supply. So factories and production would have to shut down, even if it's only temporary, but that would have a negative hit to growth. But Eurozone equities overnight were down already 20% year to date. Historically, when you get a recession, you know, a typical recession, you know, equities will fall 30, 35%. So at that point in time, when you're down 20, you're already pricing in a decent probability of a recession. 
So a good amount of risk is priced in. I think that the same would apply to the U.S. At the same time, if you just look at the global economy and the U.S. economy in particular, and abstract away from what's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now, the U.S. economy is clearly showing signs that's sort of reaccelerating after a bit of a slowdown at the end of last year, the start of this year, due to the Omicron wave. Uh, the numbers we saw last week in terms of economic activity uh, showed of that data or that evident with manufacturing activity sort of picking up uh, a stronger than expected jobs number on Friday. So more people coming back to work, which was ultimately was kind of the base case many people had once, once the COVID pandemic was over or receded significantly. We'd get more you know, people coming back to labor markets that will support wage growth. We're seeing more mobility measures uh, increasing as people feel comfortable to travel, services spending, all the things we would expect as a base case for recovery, those are materializing. Uh, and the fact that oil prices are going up is a, is a headwind, but it doesn't derail the overall macro outlook. So we have to sort of balance kind of the good fundamentals with obviously the risks that are they're mid front and center in the time being. I think given the lack of clarity in the near term, that's why we went to the neutral stance. If you think about though our upside for the rest of this year and our, our base case price targets, it still implies good upside for the S&P by you know December, but in the very near term, just a lack of conviction how things will play out in the next month or two before ultimately we think the situation in Ukraine will settle down or at least become something the markets can digest and we'll focus more on the economic fundamentals that become or still right now are, are still relatively solid. So that's sort of the rationale and the thought process behind the change, um, getting just more kind of tactically a little bit closer to home. Um, so if you think about your asset allocation, the guidance would be to go more towards your long-term strategic benchmark without large deviations as opposed to before where the, the macro environment, from our perspective, warranted a fairly significant risk on positioning. Well, Jason, the clarity on the chief investment office's current thinking on equities and the tactical positioning, very helpful. And to underscore the point you made, a neutral view is not a negative view. Uh, you've pointed this out a few times, Jason, of course, this circumstance rather in Ukraine, it is very fluid. We are receiving developments seemingly hour by hour. And as I was going through the CIO alert, I did notice how within outlined are a few different market scenarios. You have a central view, a downside view, and an upside view. So Jason, can you spend a few moments walking us through each? So the central scenario is kind of how we're positioned. So I alluded to a lot of those details. In it, we see the, the tensions, the, the military you know, conflict in Ukraine persisting probably through the spring with the idea that you know later in the year, by the summer or the fall, we'd get a ceasefire, and also the rhetoric between NATO and Russia would sort of you know start to cool down. So this won't be imminent, but in the, in the you know in a few months, uh, in the second half of this year, that would materialize. In this scenario, uh, you'll see a gradual removal of Russian oil and gas from kind of the global supply chains, so as opposed to immediate halt. So the market's sort of pricing for that immediately, I think, which means that our kind of baseline forecast for oil are not far off. At this point in time, when the market's currently pricing, so the you know the, the reality will kind of kind of catch up to what the markets are pricing, but it does mean oil prices stay at elevated level really too much of this year, with Brent uh, at 125 and right now it's at 121, moderating a little bit by September and then by December dip back to 105, but still over 100 dollars, which was higher than what our base case was just two weeks ago. Uh, so these higher you know, energy prices and other commodity prices, because you know, Russia and Ukraine are major exporters of both agricultural products, but also various industrial metals. Um, this will have a negative impact on growth and corporate earnings. So it's likely we could see, uh, you know, earnings downgrades and moderation, you know, both for the U.S., more so even for, for Europe, um, given this potentially negative impact on, on um, you know, on growth. Inflation still likely to moderate throughout the year, but it could peak even higher. And we get, you know, February CPI on, on Thursday. It could reach 8%. 
the expectation was that as we moved, you know, into the second quarter, we got March, April, May data, we'd start to see a clear rollover. That could happen, but if energy prices and oil prices continue to move even higher, that rollover could be delayed until we start to see a pullback in energy prices. At some point, if, if energy prices go so high that it starts to really kind of destroy demand, have a negative impact on growth, so they're rarely going to stay high for long because then you'll start to you know, price in the fact that demand is going to decline. So we still think you know inflation will decline, but in a more moderate pace. The Fed, this is a difficult environment for it, but it's clear that they will hike 25 basis points next week when the FOMC meets. Jay Powell basically said as much at his congressional testimony last week. Uh, I think a hike at every meeting, at least for the summer, is likely. Uh, so the first 100 basis points, you can kind of bake it in. I think after that, it becomes a question of where is the economy by the second round this year? Where is this, um, you know, the war in Ukraine has it settled down? Has the commodity prices fallen? And that will guide Fed policy from there on. So that, that is our central scenario. The downside is things can escalate even you know more greatly in, with this co- you know, conflict. But in particularly, there's a real more disruption on the commodity front. Supplies really are kind of cut off. We see oil you know, spiking up to $150 a barrel. Uh, gas may be rationed in Europe so that would have a material impact on growth. The concerns, and people use the term stagflation, that's not in our base case, but in a downside scenario, you get higher oil prices, higher commodity prices, but also a much more bigger impact and the negative impact on growth. So that really would be kind of a stagflation scenario sort of playing out in, in a downside scenario, in which case we'd probably see more downside for the S&P over 100, you know, another 10 to 15% from, from the current levels that this were to, to play out. And this can materialize not just because of commodities, but you know, if Russia and Putin has eyes on sort of going beyond Ukraine, if there's any sort of escalation, you know, beyond the borders, you know, as a result of NATO expansion, perhaps to Finland and Sweden, um, these are other things that could drive it. The upside scenario is pretty basic. It's essentially, you know, we'd see any disruption to commodity markets being short-lived and things start to recover fairly quickly, like by the second quarter. Uh, we see a de-escalation of the tensions, you know, relatively quickly. If that happens, then the markets can price out some of the risk premium they put in and then focus more on the better fundamentals. So you might see actually a bit of a pop, you know, at least in terms of risk assets fairly quickly in short order if that materializes. And then our base cases, you know, we think would suddenly play out, and you we would have to think about, you know, the upside scenarios if things kind of start to recover more quickly. Um, but I think at the moment, at this point in time, that probability of that scenario playing out is certainly less than the downside scenario. So the, the risk at this point is more skewed to the downside than it is to the upside. Jason, thank you for the clarity on that final point there and for walking us through those three market scenarios. As a closing thought, Jason, I know we've spoken about this a lot over the past almost month at this point, though, as always mentioned, uh, this is important to reinforce uh, the chief investment office within that CIO alert did recommend how investors can best navigate poor portfolios through volatile conditions, such as, of course, the current environment that we've been living through. So, Jason, what kind of guidance on that front can you leave us with today as a final thought and takeaway? Well, I would call this the distinction between sort of portfolio strategy and market strategy. Trying to make sort of market timing calls of how things will move around is incredibly difficult at this point in time. And, and given the size of the moves we're seeing in different asset classes, you know, oil moving up and down $15 in the course of one day, we saw big swings in treasury yields last week. And over the past few weeks, we've seen you know, days where the intraday movement among equities could be 5 or 6% just within one day. Getting those calls right is very, very difficult. And trying to time them is, is you know, you're more likely to get them wrong than right. So I think, you know, the way to think about it is less about trying to tactically navigate it as opposed to step back and make sure your portfolio, is it diversified in a way that is not concentrated in any one particular sector? It's interesting that, 
in a risk off environment that we've had recently that grow stocks, tech stocks that have been sort of the darlings for many years, they're also actually underperforming the other markets. So it isn't a case where people are flocking to, you know, the mega cap growth stocks that in the past, when you had growth concerns, those were outperforming. So again, just sort of being diversified will help you sort of you know, alleviate some of those things. Um, it's also important to put this in the context of your sort of long-term financial plans, you know, the, the, the three L's, the liquidity, longevity, legacy approach. I think it can help you live through and sort of navigate short-term volatility because it's not going to disrupt your sort of long-term investment plans. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the neutral view is more about kind of tacking closer to home in terms of your long-term strategic allocation. So making sure that long-term allocation is correct and, and balanced properly is important. And then there's ways in which you can look to do some hedging. You know, we've you know, been recommending people use commodities as a geopolitical hedge, and that's certainly has paid off recently. Uh, as commodity prices move higher, I think the, the risk reward starts to become sort of less attractive um, because now as they move higher, if things de-escalate, then you can get that risk premium out of commodities also come down. So I think it's, it's become a little more sort of you know, tricky to use that, you know, given how high commodity prices have already risen just in the past couple of weeks. Um, but this is also a case for looking for, for other asset classes. You know, if this continues throughout the year uh, on having a high volatile period, things like in, in, you know hedge funds provide some extra diversification. And then again, just thinking through looking long term, where is their value being potentially kind of created and where could their value be you know, created? Um, so looking at those areas, you know, some of which are in private markets. And the last thing I'd say is, you know, during vault times, people tend to kind of want to pull back, but, you know, use volatility as an asset class that you can take advantage of. You can do it through you know, put options or, or other direct securities, but also using sort of as structured instruments where perhaps what you do is, you know, hedge, you know, the more extreme downside scenarios by, by kind of selling some of the upside scenarios. So there's ways in which you can use volatility to your advantage uh, as opposed to thinking about volatile markets and forcing you to step back. Jason, thank you for dropping by top of the morning here on a Monday to set the table for the week and appreciate the ongoing commentary and guidance from you and the entire CIO team during what has been a volatile period in the markets. Uh, more to come, of course. We will continue to track these developments in Ukraine very closely and more conversations uh, to come. Though, thank you again for the insights this morning, Jason. Appreciate it, as always. You're welcome. And again today, we've been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. Uh, these resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the piece which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation today, uh, that being the CIO alert from Friday, March 4th, uh, downgrading equities to neutral. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor to learn more and to receive a copy of that piece directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. Time frames may vary. Strategies are subject to individual client goals, objectives, and suitability. This approach is not a promise or guarantee that wealth or any financial results can or will be achieved. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.